So unintentionally, uh, at least in the beginning I didn't plan it this way, we've kind of had a few heavy sermons in a row. Uh, two weeks ago we were talking about Job and um, holding on to faith when he can do nothing else. Uh, we talked about depression. Last week was All Saints, and while not necessarily a dark sermon, it was certainly a little heavy. Uh, remembering those we have lost is always a little bit of a more um, heavier sermon. And then Thursday night, uh, I shared during our healing service, and that one felt really heavy too, as I myself struggled to have words and share something and offer hope or attempt to offer hope. And so I want to do something a little different tonight because I don't know about you, it's been a big week. Like, this week has probably been the most emotional week that I've had in a very long time. And I don't just mean me personally, but here on campus, I, it's been a roller coaster, right? Like, there's, the, there's all these ups and downs, and I don't know, I'm, I want to offer you something a little normal, if I might. If I might not quite talk about the election, uh, talk about actually what I had planned to talk about when I planned this sermon series way back in July. So remember that when you hear what I'm talking about today. But I'm also just hoping that um, wherever you find yourself today, um, if you're finding yourself maybe moving past grief, or if you're still in the midst of grief, or if you're feeling happy, that you would uh, also maybe find some hope in this as we begin to turn, return to normalcy. Because the truth is, regardless of what we do in here, the world is slowly going to begin turning again. Um, I know classes kind of shut down for at least a day here on campus, not officially, but a lot of classes had discussions around the election, but you know, tomorrow's going to come and I bet you your professors are going to expect you to have read for your classes and be prepared for quizzes and whatever else they might have waiting for you. So as we begin to enter into that space, I, I want to again invite you into some normalcy of the gospel. Some normalcy of what we do just day in and day out as Christians, which is actually what we've been talking about all semester uh, in uh, our Sunday night sermon series, in this series that I called What Christians Do. And today I've called it Going Public, because when I was in college, we had this thing at my campus ministry uh, a part of our service was called Going Public. And so each week when uh, our services gathered, one of the special parts was one of the students would get up and share uh, a testimony of a way that God was uh, sharing, uh, of sharing where God was working in their lives. Uh, it was an opportunity to get up and talk about uh, maybe in a way that um, many of us didn't have the opportunity in the rest of our lives to say, hey, I've experienced God and I want you to know about it. And it was this time of more specifically publicly sharing our faith. Because, I don't know about you, but when I was in college, uh, I certainly didn't get up and give this sermon all the time. 
my comfortability with standing here and talking to you has only come because this is now year five since I graduated seminary and I've been practicing a lot. Uh, when I was in college, I wasn't as comfortable. So this was an opportunity for me to get up in front of mostly my friends because I was really involved in that community and say, this is what God is doing in my life. But more importantly than having me get up and share was that I was doing it in this public forum because it's all well and good for me to have my faith. We had a, uh, a campus ministry house off campus and upstairs we had a closet that was a walk-in closet that we had converted into a prayer closet. So this was a place you could go and just kind of have some quiet time. Um, I lived in the dorm all four years of college, so I never had like my own space. So this was a really good space to go and have some quiet time with God. And it was all well and good for me to go and have that quiet time with God. But my faith is more than just me going up in a closet and closing a door and blocking out the whole rest of the world, right? Yes? Faith is more than blocking out the rest of the world and having a relationship with just you and God? Yes, that's the answer is yes, uh, in case you were wondering. And so going public was about taking our faith out into the world and saying, my relationship with God, which is a personal thing, is more than just a personal thing. It's more than just a personal understanding of salvation. It is this thing that goes out into the world as well. And so if I'm living my faith, if I'm daily carrying my faith out into the world, if I'm daily sharing what I believe it means to be a Christian, it means my faith goes out before me and with me and in everything I do in some way or others. Now, part of that comes because we believe our faith is also not just in what we pray and study and how deep we can grow with God, but how much we can share our faith in the world. And uh, so I want to read another passage of Scripture. This one's from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what, good, what is the good of that? So faith by itself has no works, is dead. If it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your work, show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. Part of the way we share our faith is by living it in the world by taking our faith out into the public square and saying, what happens in here matters out there. The way God calls us matters not just in my personal relationship with God, but how I act and interact with the world. And so we have this active faith. Now, we stand up, part of what this means is that we stand up and speak whenever our values are challenged, whenever 
we see the values we believe in being challenged. And I don't just mean directly like someone says something challenging it, but when we see something happening in the world. And I want to go ahead and say something here because a lot of times, especially around election time, we talk a lot about what the government is going to do for us. How we believe in working with the government. And it's really a big part of our lives, if you think about it, because it's the national, which we just had. For some of us, we had state level. And for some of us, we also had local level. So there's all these areas in which the government is a part of our lives, doing really good, important things like building roads and providing fire departments and police stations and ambulances and uh, helping to fund education uh, for our K through 12 and all of these things that are important. But I want to be clear here when I say it's not up to the government to take care of the kingdom values. Which is a weird thing for me to say because I really, I, I'm a, I like to advocate for the government to do good work to help all the people. Uh, mostly because I know that, you know, we really love to help people here, but there's only so much we can do. And the government has a pretty big purse. And they can do a lot to alleviate hunger. They can do a lot to alleviate uh, homelessness. They can do a lot to make sure that we have peace instead of war. And they can do a lot that we can't do here. But then there's a lot that we can do as well. So I want to be clear tonight when I'm talking about all of the, these things, when we talk about these kingdom values and where we live them out, I don't just mean just going to the government and asking the government to do it. Because here's the truth. The government will fail us. Because the government's made up of people. What we go to with our kingdom values is someone bigger than the government. Someone who has more power, has more at their disposal than any of us, and that is the almighty creator of all things. And so, we stand up and speak and call upon God whenever our values are challenged. Now, what are those values? Uh, our scripture this evening comes from Isaiah, and this is almost at the very end of Isaiah. Isaiah is laying out something called the vision for new heaven and new earth. It's really kind of this beautiful vision of what Isaiah sees, what God is uh, dreaming for us, what will come for us in this new heaven and new earth. Isaiah lays it out as saying, there will be no more weeping or cries of anguish. It's a world where babies do not die in their cradles before they've had a chance to live. It's where older people live long and full lives. It's a world where we build houses and actually live in them, where we grow food and actually eat it. That is opposed to those folks who build houses and other people live in them because they can't afford to live in them or grow food and pick it because, and other people eat it because they can't afford to eat it. 
It's a world where housing and eating are given, where health care is a given, where taking care of everyone is a given. This is the kingdom values that I want to talk about tonight. These kingdom values that God is calling us to live in this public square. This is the world that we're called to believe in. Now, this may not be everyone in here, but I know uh, for many this week's election has felt like someone stepped in and stomped all over the progress we've been making and the possibilities for future progress. And truth be told, that could be accurate, maybe. Now, there's also a segment of the population that did not like the direction that our country was going in, that felt left out and uncared for. People who, in their own ways, have felt the very same things that some of you are feeling. Now, some have lashed out in some really negative ways, and I, I want to acknowledge that as to not dismiss it. There have been some really horrendous things that folks have done in the last week, um, even here on our own campus, that are racist or hatred. And I want to be clear that there is also a reasoning behind that. At least when we look at the broader picture of the nation. And while racism is not okay, it is sometimes the result of how people feel about their situation in life. There's a lot of people hurting in our country right now. And the truth is that it's not just the urban poor or the rural poor. There's a lot of people who are suffering right now. There's a lot of change happening in our country. There are industries that are dying. People can't find jobs. People, well, if I've heard anything else since Election Day of what they think is going on, it's that what was going on before Election Day is that people were worrying that they were living slightly less better off than their parents did and worried that their children were going to be slightly better, less better off than they were. The American dream, whatever that might be, of all of us being able to succeed, that this being a place where all things are equal and fair, and if you're willing to put in the work, then you can succeed, is really being questioned by just about everyone across the political spectrum. What I find particularly interesting, though, is this poor votes, in that the rural white poor have voted Republican, and the urban minority poor have voted Democrat. And I see, it seems like they're in very different worlds. I mean, if you go to in the middle of Kentucky, which I was just meeting a campus minister uh, weekend, last weekend, who's from the middle of Kentucky, uh, and you go to the middle of Baltimore, you might have the same levels of poverty, but being lived out in very different ways. But at the end of the day, there are people who are struggling to feed their families, people who are struggling 
to get by. People are struggling to find jobs. People who are uncertain about what their future is going to be. And so when we start looking at this and setting aside the politics of a, for a minute and say, this isn't about folks who voted Republican or voted Democrat. This is about people who are suffering, who are struggling, people who are in need. And our kingdom values say that we're supposed to do something about it. Housing and food, health and long life. An end to weeping and cries of anguish. Can you really think that if you went out to anywhere in the country and asked any voter about what they wanted in the world, if you asked them, are these things that you would like, do you really think anyone would say no? And I wonder if that might be the place that we can come together. When we start thinking about all of the division that we have in our country, and it is deep. And it's not just in politics. We've got division in the church in all kinds of ways. I had a friend that just posted on Facebook about um, her church uh, this morning worshipped with another church. Her church is predominantly white. The other church is predominantly African-American. And she weeped this morning because it is still the most segregated hour in the country when we go to church. We have a lot we have a lot more in common probably than we realize. Our divisions are deep but there is something that brings us together. I believe it's these kingdom values. But how do we get there? Well, this is where I think we use the one thing that can never be taken away from us. And that is our free will and our voice. See, we have a choice. Whenever we see things that aren't going the right way, we have a choice of what we're going to do. And what we can choose to do is to organize against anything and everything that we think might even be beginning to think about stripping away the rights and dignity of others. We can stand up and refuse to be silent. We can refuse to stand by and watch. We can work in any way we are able to against these things. There's lots of different ways we can get involved in all kinds of different issues. When we start talking about poverty, well, one place to go is we can advocate that more money be given to programs that can help those who are poor. But then we can also go down to St. Luke's Mission Center and serve meals because serving meals is helping the hungry. Both of these things are not really in competition. They're just different ways of trying to do the same thing, which is make sure that people who are hungry are fed. And we can think about this in all kinds of different issues. Maybe, maybe your issue is health care. 
or immigration or border security or national and international security, poverty, wealth, concentration of wealth, LGBTQ rights, women's rights, minority rights, religious rights, disabled rights, veterans rights, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you are passionate about, wherever you see suffering, wherever you see anguish, wherever you see weeping, those are the places our kingdom values are calling us to be, to go and to serve. We're being called to be the hands and feet of Christ, to stand up and speak out. Which is an important thing to remember because one of the other things I've heard a lot this week is how folks who haven't been so happy with how the election turned out have felt powerless, have felt a sense of there's nothing I can do. This election is over. This is our president for the next four years. Now that's a true fact. This election is over. The president has been selected. But that's not all we can do. That's why I said in the beginning, we can't lay it all at the feet of the government because the government's going to make mistakes. And who leads the government isn't always perfect. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're never perfect because, well, if you're not perfect, neither are they. And even the most perfect person can have the best of intentions and still not succeed. And so we continue to keep our focus on what is really important. When you start to feel helpless and feel like there's nothing we can do, you always have something you can do. It's not always the easy thing. It may not even be the most effective thing. But you have the opportunity, the ability to stand up and speak out. And sometimes that's even costly. It sometimes means sacrificing something. Sometimes it means taking our, your Saturday night and instead of uh, hanging out with friends or doing whatever it is you college kids do on Saturday nights, um, probably read the Bible, right? Instead of sitting, uh, hanging out with your friends, maybe it's going out to a protest and saying that tonight my voice needs to be heard because I'm upset about something and it's not right. There may be lots of opportunities coming for that in the coming days. Hopefully there won't be, but there might be. And I can almost guarantee you that in four or eight years, when our soon-to-be president is no longer in office, whoever follows that our uh, soon-to-be president, there will also be opportunities to protest against because no matter what party is in power, no matter who is leading the country, there are always things to speak out for. There are always people who are forgotten because that's what's most important here. You see, the government's this massive thing. The current transition team is appointing 4,000 people. And that's just the appointed people. Not to mention the thousands upon thousands of bureaucrats that work day in and day out. And this government machine is slow. And sometimes this government machine needs a little nudging to do the right thing. 
Sometimes it just needs a little nudging to know the right thing. Sometimes we need a little nudging to know the right thing. Sometimes it's when we stand up and we speak out that we can really, and we stand together, that we can really make a difference in the world. Because suddenly it's not just me standing saying, poverty's bad, we should give money to poverty issues. We should be helping people lift out of poverty. We should be paying attention to the systemic poverty that seems to trap people. We should be going into communities where there is no jobs and finding ways to create jobs. We should be going into places where there is no food and finding ways to feed people. We should be going into places, and sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And so when we stand up and speak out, when we take action, that is living our faith in the public sphere and living those kingdom values that God has called us because we believe in that vision of what God has not yet done. That world where there is no more anguish, where there's no more weeping, where there's no more hunger, where there's no more homelessness, where there is health and life. We believe in those things as Christians, and so we stand up, and we speak, and we act, and we do, and we keep doing. And even when it seems like we're not doing anything, we keep going. And to give you a wonderful example of what happens when we stand up and speak, I would point you to what happened this past Friday. Uh, for those who aren't aware, we had a wonderful visit to campus by the one and only Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, well, I should say we had like, I think it was two, maybe three people from the Westboro Baptist Church show up for about half an hour on Friday afternoon. I'll tell you, I was really worried about this. Um, as your chaplain, I was worried about you guys. I was worried about the campus and how this might be just one more thing after a really tense week. After the protests we'd had on Wednesday, after all of the conversations that we'd had as a community and knowing that other communities were having those same conversations about what this new election meant. And then Friday afternoon came and we set up our sign with our bowl of candy, offering free hugs and pointing to safe space. And you know what was interesting to me? Well, there was this group of people that were committed to bringing hatred to our campus. Committed to bringing what is a vile message that I believe to be anti-God, though they claimed it in the name of God. And you know what happened? It was like a festival, like a pep rally, except not in the way they wanted. It was kind of fun to be out there with hundreds of other students and staff and faculty and administration who, for the most part, weren't trying to counter these folks, or at least not directly counter them, but were instead offering a counter message which that is that even if they weren't doing it in the name of God, we're saying love is stronger than hate. People walking around offering free hugs. People honking their horns in support. Rainbows everywhere. 
Now, I can't say for that everybody this was a, uh, a good experience, but for me, I know I left there going, wow, I actually feel a little better. There is still goodness in the world. Everything isn't bad. The world didn't fall apart Tuesday night. And it's because we stood up and we spoke together. Our community stood up and spoke. Those who were there can tell you how many folks came up and took, up, took them up on the hugs. How many folks said thank you. And that might seem like a little thing, but in the face of pure hatred, we responded with pure love, and love won. It's because that love is bigger than anything else. It's the love of God. It's that kingdom value. I realize I'm going long here, so I sh I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I've had lots of thoughts over the last week. Lots of thoughts about what we should do. And, and in particular, um, this particular passage of Scripture, there's one line that kept sticking with me, even when I mixed it up a little bit and was a bad uh, theologian and was saying um, the lions will lay down with the lambs and it was actually the wolves and the lambs. Uh, it's an important part of this verse. Pay attention to it. But that part is actually one of the most important parts of this because that's how we're going to get through this coming future. In verse 25, it says that the wolf and the lamb will graze together, the lion and ox will eat straw from the same trough. These natural adversaries, these natural enemies of one another, were together. And not together in a superficial way, like we gather together sometimes when we're having uh, conversations that are supposed to make things better. Not in some superficial way of, well, we're people who disagree with each other, but we're sitting in the same room and we're not killing each other, so that's obviously a success. But actually coexisting with each other, eating next to one another. And I can't help but think, in the face of what has been one of the ugliest, most negative elections in history, there's something there for us too in remembering that Republicans and Democrats of like have been very negative. But we, as Christians, are called to do better. We're called to follow the example that that kingdom value has set for us. That we are called to live with those who are not our natural friends. Those folks who maybe we have trouble recognizing as children of God. Those folks who voted for the other party. Those folks who maybe you feel cost you the election. Those folks who are trying to steal your election. Those folks who are not voters. The Hillary voters, the Bernie voters, the Trump voters, the non-voters. Here's an important truth. All of us, all of them, are children of God. And so when we look at this hatred that seems to have bubbled over, 
in this election, we have to remember one thing, just like on Friday, hatred will not win. Not when we counter it with love and the grace of God, because God's love and goodness are stronger, and that will win out if we live it. And if in all things we remember that we are to love as we have first been loved. Amen.